Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to catch up with Garrett, aka G-Love of G-Love and Special Sauce over Zoom video. The last time we spoke with G-Love was actually in person. The very last in-person interview we did before the pandemic. I think it was on March 11th of 2020. So uh, we talk a little bit about that. The, the last time we saw each other and then they had like an off day and then they were supposed to play Santa Barbara. I believe they did play Santa Barbara. Uh, but the last show that or last time we saw him in person, obviously, was at the Belly Up Tavern in Salon Beach in San Diego just days before the entire world shut down. So we catch up with, with G-Love on what he has going on now. We did recap a little bit on his journey in music, where he's born and raised, how he got into music. We talk about what happened between COVID hitting and uh, our current conversation. He put a record out right before COVID hit called The Juice, which was his first Grammy-nominated album. We talk about that. We talk about how he supported that during COVID and all about his new record called Philadelphia, Mississippi and the incredible process of putting this album together. It's also going to be released as an NFT, so he explains that to us as well. You can watch the interview with G-Love on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Gila. Hey! Hey, what's going on? What's good, bro? I'm so good to see you again. How are you? I'm doing good. How, how, where, where are you at, Adam? Um, I'm actually in Nashville now, but when we, it's crazy. So one of the last interviews I ever, well, the last interview I did in person before COVID happened, I'm from San Diego, was at the uh, Solana Beach at Belly Up Tavern. Oh, it was right probably on. like one of the last shows you played. I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, because we, we played, I remember we had San Diego and then like we played that and then we had the day off at the Solana Beach, right? Belly up and I had a uh-huh. day off. I went to LA on a train and because I had to go to the Costa Rican consulate. So I went to LA on a train and things were starting to get pretty weird. Mm-hmm. And I ended up linking up with Citizen Cope. And because we like to hang out, so we went for hap- We went for lunch, which turned into happy hour, which turned into me. Kept all right. I'll get the next train. I'll get the next train. Sure, sure. Finally, I got like the last train back to Solana Beach to all banged up, and that ended up being the last night I went out to socialize in like two years. And oh then, my gosh! Of course, the next day we played up in Santa Barbara, and then at that point we we went home. Okay, so you actually did the Santa Barbara show. I remember that was yeah. like the next leg of the tour. Yeah, and yeah. we it was so weird because that was like we were like elbow fiving and all right, that during right, that right. time. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think we even made like a, a joke, like a co- coronavirus joke. And it was like because it was still in that weird time. Like we didn't really know. It was, and then now it's like such in bad taste. But it was like oh, so weird. Um, so yeah, well, uh, dude, it's so good to see. You. I'm so you know, glad we were able to do this, even though it's kind of, you know, via Zoom, which is fine. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm stoked to hear what you've been up to for the last two years. It's been it's so crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, um, so um, gosh, I mean, right now, the 
it we're totally geared up for the new album philadelphia mm-hmm. mississippi to drop and so good uh, it's dropping as an nft it's dropping through the regular channels as as well of course 30 tiger has been a tremendous uh partner for us and this is our mm-hmm. second release with them as our 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 distributor you know home base mm-hmm. for philadelphonic records and this record also has a secondary release which is as an nft through the yellow heart platforms. I actually just jumped off the Twitter spaces for that. And um, yeah, so my head's pretty buzzing about that, but this is a wonderful record for us. Uh, kind of the work, the pilgrimage of the hip hop blues mm-hmm. um, to Mississippi to kind of immerse ourselves with all this, these emerging uh, blues men and women and established uh, blues men and women. And uh, yeah, the record's really cool. It's a fan. I, I had a chance to hear the record. It's so good. I, I mean, I, yeah, I really, really, the whole way through, I mean, the whole album is incredible. Um, and I want to talk to you about the record and the NFT thing is so cool. The video that you guys put out uh, with the bored apes, you know, the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so good. So I figured that I had some tie into the NFT. So I'll, we'll talk about that as well. But I don't know if you mind kind of recapping just a little bit, because this podcast is about you and your journey in music. And we heard your story quite a bit on the first interview, but maybe we could just, you know, catch up a little bit on that. And then I'll, I want to talk to you about the new record. Yeah. I mean, you know, do you mean like the overall? Well, just, well, I'll just, I'll do, well, so you're born, obviously born and raised in Philadelphia. Um, you told, talk to us about that. I couldn't remember like you was the guitar. The first instrument you learned. Yeah. I started playing guitar when I was around eight. Well, when I was eight years old, my, mm-hmm. you know, it was, <laughs> The family legendary family story. I was beating on the back of the uh, the uh, the station wagon, you know, behind my mom. My mom would always rock out to the radio and sing along, and so I was, you know, back there, you know, no car seat, just running around the back seat. And <laughs> sure. Yeah, and my mom said, "Oh, kid, you got the beat. You should you, maybe you should take an instrument. What do you want to take? Oh, I want to take guitar. So, yeah, I started playing." taking folk guitar lessons and I hated it. And it it was terrible. And uh, it was the worst thing ever. And my mom was, was trying to help me by learning with me. And that would really piss me off because she was better than me. Right. She's picking it up. (laughs) And then like, you know, like I hated it, but I don't know why, like for some reason I, I stuck with it during the school years, the lessons. And basically I was learning to every, I had three, kind of three formative guitar teachers and they all were teaching me to, you know, not, you know, coordinate with one another, but over the Mm -hmm. years, they all taught me how to play and sing. So that was the thing. I have a lesson and they mostly teach me Beatles songs. Right. So I like fucking like every Beatles song. That's awesome Uh, though. I can still play a bunch of them, but, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so that was kind of um, looking back, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty cool because I learned these to play and sing. Right. Which right. Is which is something cool. you usually don't learn at guitar. I mean, the fact right. that they wanted to implement that into your lesson, that's so rad. Like, were you sing? Did they know you could sing or like, how did they no. even find that out? They just said, Hey, well, you should no, try to I sing know. and play at the same time. Yeah. No, it was just um, the, the one teacher, the first one was Heidi Wolf. And she was, had this eighties band in Philly called Heidi and the Wolves. Okay. Um, I remember I used to have just like, you know, I was like, you know, 
like so in love with her staring <laughs> 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 like at her while we're doing this show uh but yeah any has um yeah heidi yes yeah, i don't know what it was but yeah she they, she they they'd write the lyrics out and then write the chord when this you know play this chord over this word and um yeah so Jen, so slowly but surely i got better and better as the years went on very slowly mm-hmm. uh, but then i kind of was competent and um yeah my first performance was in third grade playing norwegian wood for wow. my music class and i said this song does not have any words which of course it does but i just played, <laughs> you, know. you play the instrumental <laughs> yeah and um because singing was really embarrassing, you know, it's, it's, it takes a lot of guts to like sing in front of people, you know? So definitely, yeah, I started writing songs when I was about, by the time I was 13, I could tune it. It sounded pretty good. I started writing songs when I was 15. And then that was the catalyst for like everything, songwriting, finding that expression, uh, having a voice as a young man, a young kid, you know, Mm -hmm. starting to be a young man and sure really it was an outlet and that just became everything. And then uh, once I started making songs and I wanted to record them, so I'd record them on my boom box and then I want to perform them. And I don't know why, but that's just what, what I wanted to do. And that's what led me to being here today. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm quick question on the, just those early songs you're writing. Do you know the moment when you said, or the first time you sung in front of people, like you, was it your own song or was it a cover song? And like what gave you the courage at that point to do that? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that was, I guess that was that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like your parents would say, oh, come and play for our friends when they're oh, at the sure. dinner party or you're at the, or you play Christmas carols. Um, but yeah, there was always like that. Oh, no, I'm not, you know, it was embarrassing. It's embarrassing mm-hmm. to put yourself out like that as a young kid. So uh, it was embarrassing for me. And, um, but uh, yeah, the, but then it was kind of interesting because, then I, I played the 10th grade talent show and man, the crowd like was so insane. And we just kind of connected with the school and it was just like, everyone would like just they would like, clap their hands and stomp their feet in this big old fashioned auditorium. And it sounded like a thunderstorm. And I was like, Holy shit. And I got interviewed by the school paper. Wow. I was in 10th grade. And I, I was like, man, this is great. And I told my little girlfriend that week, I was like, Oh, uh, you know, I had my mom's bag lunch and I was like, all I need is this bag lunch and my guitar. And that's all I need. Cause I didn't want, it wasn't about money or like anything. I think the thing, the interesting thing too, like when I was a kid in the eighties, like there was no internet, right. So there was no mm-hmm. access to the music business. So mm-hmm. there was never like a thing that like, Oh, I'm going to be a rock star. Like, or I'm going to be on MTV. Like that shit was like the star Wars gals. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. There was no thing like kids today are like, wow, you know, like they all know that Taylor Swift like writes her own songs and she, you know, and she can make all this money. And um, I think there's this thing like with kids just because they and they can put records out when they're, you know, 13 years old or mm-hmm. 10 years old. It's like, you know, there's an instant thing like of like monetizing this young skill or making right, it. Right, right. But for me, it was like it was uh, I felt like I'm thankful because it seems to me it was really pure, the songwriting aspect. Right. I was writing songs as like a knee jerk reaction to being a kid and trying to Mm -hmm. figure out how I felt about this and that. And um, and so that was that was powerful. And and I could go back and and a lot of those songs that I wrote 
as a teenager have made it onto G Love records, you know, onto you know major album releases. So that's another really? part too. I think, I think that like when on the flip side, mm-hmm. you know, when they're when if you're a parent and you got a kid that's writing songs, like well, don't just blow it off because they they have this young mind that's opening up and wanting to express themselves, and they could come with some powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting that you said some of those early songs ended up making it on to, to later G Love records. Like with yeah. with that, like so when you like this ten theory talent show you were talking about, was the style and sound that you were playing similar to what you were doing now? With uh, kind yeah. of the hip hop over like a blues guitars no. and okay, yeah, not that yet, but it was. Um, well, no, I mean yes and no because the fact that I still performed the tunes they made on the records, yes, as mm-hmm. far as what people the stylistically like the blues hip hop blues thing no because mm-hmm. by then i was like um really and i should say i was only really influenced by like bob dylan the beatles velvet mm-hmm. underground folk rock like donovan crosby stills nash and young uh neil young mm-hmm. um stuff like that you know what i'm saying so more like folk rock right gotcha. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. What it was and then, and then the reason i can't kind of came away from that style was because um again like in 1986 or whatever or 88 uh you know no one was really messing with that style in my high school right well no one was but, really messing with that style at all i mean yeah. to, to really i mean to be honest right there's well, like I'd go to sorry, I'd go to like open mic nights, like not school related, and then I'd see that a lot of people knew who Bob Dylan was. <laughs> oh, oh, you meant Bob Dylan? Sorry, I thought you were talking about like the style that you ended up falling into more now. So, oh yeah, no, no, no. Oh, okay. So, so then, because people were like into folk music, and and now I realize, oh, other people heard of Bob Dylan, right? Sure, so, sure, sure. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But um, and then I was like, I gotta flip the switch. So then I, that led me on my search. Uh, I went to the record store. Was like, is there anybody that plays? You know. So I had but then started playing harmonica on the rack. Is anyone that plays solo acoustic guitar, uh-huh. harmonica on the rack, and sings so, solo acoustic, no band other than Neil Young and Bob Dylan? Mm-hmm. So they gave me this. They're like, yes. They gave me this John Hammond record called John Hammond Country Blues. Okay. And that was John's rendition of, you know, 10. Uh, it was like a roadmap because, because, because there was there weren't any originals i could look who wrote it and go back and find these records of all these blues artists and then i went down the wormhole or the rabbit hole to discover the blues and then mm. that set me apart from all the folk singers right mm-hmm. and then i started writing songs about the city of philadelphia and i called it street side blues it was kind of like urban poetry so i was writing songs about the basketball courts and the water ice stand and mm-hmm. the riding the city bus and homeless people and uh, graffiti writing, skateboarding and all this culture of hip hop. And then mm-hmm. soon I started rapping and that that's when I came into the G love style. Okay. Interesting. When did you start playing the harmonica? And was that just because you love Dylan and Neil Young? And you're like, okay, this, there's the other people are trying to do that, but nobody's playing the harmonica and doing it at the same time. Yeah. Again, like one of my guitar <laughs> teachers, this, this, this is just a quick side. Note. This guy was so classic. He passed me rest in peace. Waco Smith. He was like a lead. If you lived in Philadelphia downtown, 
in the 70s and 80s, you would have known who this guy was because right. he was always out of the corner of third and south. And every day he wore the same thing, like a, a flannel shirt like this kind of red or white checks, you know, jeans cut off at the bottom because he couldn't get jeans too sh that short because he was like five, three. <laughs> he was like five, three, 250 pounds, gray, you know, salt and pepper beard. Big 10 gallon cowboy hat. You're talking about in the city of Philadelphia. He would wear these cowboy boots and he's the brown work gloves with the red felt. And everyone thought he was like homeless or whatever. He ended up like answering like the the flyer my mom left at the supermarket for give my kid kid guitar lessons. <laughs> Dude, I'd go, I'd go up into his one uh his little studio apartment, Adam, and uh, it would be like one bare light bulb, a fan he would turn on no matter what day of the year, a half empty bottle of Jack Daniels, a single bed, two chairs. Oh, and man. he would say, all right, you know, do the lesson. I start doing the lesson and he would fall asleep. <laughs> so I was like, 15, or I was like 13, you know, and so he'd fall asleep. And then I just finished playing. And I would just, I didn't want to wake him up. So I just sit there until he woke up. Eventually he goes, okay, well, I'm going to teach you this. <laughs> but anyhow, he had a, he, he was, he was actually trained at Juilliard. So he was like a, a, a classical guitar player, but also like had a honky tonk band. So anyway, long story short, he had a harmonica player and a honky tonk band. And this guy, Dave, I think his name was, he gave, Myself and my manager, who was my best friend since second grade, Jason Brown, he gave us one harmonica lesson. So we learned how to like, you know, make a train and down, well, make it sound like a cry. Mm -hmm. And then that was it. Then I got the rack and boom. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> That's great. And with harmonicas though, aren't they, you, each one is a different key. Is that, is that how it works? I know there's, you can get different ones. I'm not, I don't know a whole lot about harmonica, but do you have to have multiple ones per song you're playing or do you just stay in one? Yeah, no, generally like, yeah, you're right. Each harmonic, the, the regular kind of um, harmonicas that I play, not the chromatic harmonica, but the, um, kind of the regular harmonica, your basic harmonica can play in, Depending on how good you are. <laughs> you uh, okay, you can play multiple two or keys. three keys. Uh, okay. Four keys, depending on the position. But um I, I generally use two positions, first position and second position. <laughs> okay. I was just curious. <laughs> I just see I, I remember seeing somebody that had like a like a thing and that rolled out and it had like four oh, yeah. or five different harmonicas. Oh, yeah. So you gotta so when the band switches keys, you gotta switch harmonica to match whatever key. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know. But, once you Quite have the right key, yeah, once you have the right key, you can basically not go wrong. You just have to breathe in and out of the thing, and it's going to sound pretty much good. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Wow. All right. So then you go to college for one year, right? And then yeah. you drop out to just pursue music and then ends up working pretty quickly, right? You guys got signed or you had a, a song that did really well, like right away. Is that what I remember? Yeah. Like basically, I was going, I went to Skidmore College for a year, which had, there's man, there were so many great musicians up there and um, everyone was really into fish and like kind mm -hmm. of this groove rock thing, like think Stevie wonder inner visions record and um, really kind of technical groove funk rock and roll. And I was way sophisticated over my head and I couldn't, I uh, was trying to attract players but i was really frustrated because not 
no disrespect to the couple guys that ended up playing with me, but like I couldn't get like, you know, real heavyweight musicians to uh so long story short right, right, right. To Boston to be mm-hmm. a street musician. I I figured I can't really do anything here. And so I made the jump and told my parents I'm gonna drop, I'm gonna take a year off. And I, I did. So I went to Boston, got my street performers license, and I spent the year busking that summer of 1992. And then by that that December, I started getting a couple gigs in some bars, and I ended up meeting my drummer Jeff Clemens, the houseman, and one of those. And he was 10 years older than me and well established in the local scene. So then we were able to start making our way into the clubs pretty much right away. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we had our first. G Love and he brought Jimmy Jazz in the band. Uh, we had our first G Love and Special Sauce gig in like you know, maybe January of of uh, nineteen ninety three, mm-hmm. and that October we signed a fucking major label record deal with Epic Records. It's so and all crazy! We had most of the record done, which were originally demos, which became uh, became the album. Yeah, that's so and then, crazy. And then, yeah, then we hit the road, and that was that was it. Wow, I remember you you saying last time that you uh, your your mom wanted you to go to back to school, and she kept kind of asking about that for for a bit. Maybe even <laughs> you made a joke about it. Like still now, she's waiting or something like that. <laughs> but you said something like you you wrote an essay right to get into BU. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was curious. You said that those lyrics that they 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 became what blues music was yeah. parts of it right yeah, yeah. i want to know if you ever got did you get into the school you said you wrote it as an acceptance level i did i did you did get in okay yeah, it was my it was my college essay it was called it, it must be somewhere but it's called a child of the 80s and mm-hmm. uh well that was a deal i told my parents you know i will apply to go to college you know i'll take a year off and apply mm-hmm. to go to college in what would have been you know fall of 93 so i did so you know i did apply i was accepted to bu but by that time the by that spring it was like shit was yeah you already had the deal right yeah well no i didn't i didn't have a deal yet but like Uh, we were we were playing you know we were we were on the rise as like a local band and it was just like i mean the the energy was it was uh, that's why I, i always remember this that year 1993 is like being one of the golden years of my life. It's just like the energy was crazy. Like, you know, because we're playing all these little Irish bars and like everyone was every gig we're playing, we're getting multiple gig offers. And, you know, we, we played this place to plowing stars in Cambridge. And the first night we went in to play the, the regulars at the bar, you know, kind of gave us the side glance and we're like, we don't like your music. It's like, well, let us play. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. you will. And man, by the dead residency every Monday night, like there would be a huge line down the block. And like it was the sh- it was the thing. And like to this yeah. day, still still meet all these fans. So, you know, we used to go to Plow and Stars every Monday night. That's so cool. It was, it was, it was magic, man. It was it was popping. So, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm not. They're gonna be going to be you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's cool that you got in though. At least you had that, right? The the yeah, yeah. well, I mean the song obviously hit big too, but the 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 fact is that you you know you wrote that and you ended up getting in. You didn't tell me if you got in or not. Uh, well when you signed to Epic like signing to Epic, was that just like, oh my god, like 
obviously it had to be life changing in that in that way. Like the, probably something that you were striving for. Yeah, man, it was such like it was man. It was like it was like a this whole whirlwind of emotions and everything that you could expect because it was like because we were really happy you know i mean like we were popping off in boston like i had fallen madly in love with a girlfriend and you know these shows we were playing once or twice a week were like euphoric and it was just exciting and we were doing writing all these tunes and now i had a band so i was like writing specifically like songs to be played with a band right mm -hmm. and um it was cool so like when we ended up getting you know through playing like these music conferences that they had back in the day when people were getting record deals right uh, <laughs> um sure. so we were got accepted to play you know philadelphia music conference and from there we got our producer mm -hmm. and that show we we were all we played a showcase with an up-and-coming philadelphia band you might have heard of called the square roots now, oh wow okay like us and then the roots and um and we got signed first you know what i mean and then beck also got signed then so like but anyhow the thing is that when we then we played a new music seminar in new york got a manager mm -hmm. he started shopping us you know there and then there was like a bidding or we didn't want to get in a bidding war i don't know why that was so <laughs> but, but we got a sweet record deal with epic records and i remember getting a call Cause I was at Jeff's. So Jeff, my drummer, look, this is how we're living. He, he had a studio apartment too, with a shared bathroom down the hall mm -hmm. and a hot plate and a little mini fridge. And it always smelled like salami in his fucking apartment. Cause they were living <laughs> off of like a pound of salami every week. And so like, you know, um, we had all kind of great menus, like pound of dry pasta, can of chickpeas, clove of garlic, that's dinner, you know, you go, so, sure. and, um, mac and cheese with a can of tuna and one onion you know, <laughs> dinner. Um, but that, yeah, we got the call. Like you're getting, you know, we got the deal. Mm -hmm. so, it was like, I started crying. Cause I was like, yeah, it was like a dream come true, but also yeah. like I had this feeling that nothing was ever going to be the same. And it wasn't. And, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, it was like, it just, you were on the fringe of society and now you're all of a sudden, being funded by like one of the biggest corporations in the corporate America, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? A corporate world. Uh, it was daunting. It was a lot of pressure. I was 20. I was just trying to like figure out, you know, who I was. And, mm -hmm. and then on top of that, like I was doing like hip hop, I was basically ap appropriating these two forms of African American art, right? Right. And blues. And blues. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's like, boom started doing press and like it was just immediate it was like they called me garrett dutton the third which which i'm not i'm garrett drew dutton my father's lewis garrett dutton jr right so and at the time i was completely horrified to be white and to be called garrett dutton the third was basically like you know like just trying to call me out as like you know a rich white kid rich red kid right and hip-hop and that's exactly like how it was like Matt, of course, years later, Eminem dropped as Marshall Mathers III, and that was cool then. <laughs> For me, it was part of music was also, you know, that rebellious aspect of wanting to do something different than my mother and father, who I love dearly and are my biggest fans. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my, my father is like an attorney and my mom, you know, she, she was 
a housewife and a chef and she supported us and this, but I, I wanted to do something different. That was very like traditional and American. And, and I had the opportunity to go that kind of route, but I, I didn't. And it was specifically to kind of get away from, you know, like the benefits of growing up. So, so again, like to me, music was never about making money, right? It was about like following my artistic path and if anything, like running for money. And then of course, over the years, like you realize, Oh, gotta make some fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And those days that was when major labels just had such deep pockets. I mean, oh. now, I mean, they still do, but not, in, they're not handing out what they were before, but then you could also get yourself in a bind where it's like, they're fronting you this money. And then you're like, right. uh, like now I owe you all this money. Like, how did that happen? You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just. They'll owe them. <laughs> oh, you do. Is that what you said? Well, yeah. I mean, saying like, <laughs> you know, like basically like we're unrecouped at whatever record labels we've ever been able to work with. I mean, right. We, we sold a lot of records. I mean, you got to say, yeah, I was going to say, you sold a bunch of albums. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because the more you'd sell, like the more that they would spend. So like, then you know then you have a record that did like our first record probably sold over eight hundred thousand copies but it, that happened over like 20 years you know mm-hmm. and so and the, yeah the other records sold hundreds of thousands of copies each in the 90s and then of course once napster hit yeah every I'll record change. so my latest record the juice which was my first Grammy nomination. I was going to say 10,000 copies. So it's like, you know, whatever, like, <laughs> <laughs> which is now like unheard of though. I mean, 10,000 copies of a record. I mean, now it's just like uh, streams, right. And maybe right. singles people will buy, right. but the, I'm curious. Okay. So after you did, or after coronavirus hit, we, we can skip ahead forward quite a bit here. Um, just cause I'm curious about this new record and, and what you have going on. So with the juice, the, you didn't have the juice out did you when we saw you? Yeah, like, yeah, it was. It, it had, had it just was, came out. Yeah, it just came out. And that okay. was our, like tour. That was yeah to support it, right? Tour. Supporting yeah. the record. Yeah. Okay, and then or, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it had just dropped. Yeah. Because it was March 11th. I think it dropped in February. Like. Okay, so it, I knew I, I remember hearing it, so I didn't know if it was out yet yeah. or not. Um, but yeah, so you were supporting that record, and then that one gets nominated for a Grammy. And well, tell me like how, okay, the world shuts down. Are you like, okay, I have this new record. We kind of had a chance to support it now. Like, where were you at at that point then? Is it like, what, what do we do? We're watching the world shut down. When can, like, I guess, tell me where your headspace was at. Yeah. Like certainly like panic mode, like, you know, chicken little, the sky, the sky is falling right away. Like right. I, I had this feeling like when, you know, after, two days after we spoke in person, uh being in santa barbara and getting the call this is the last show you're going home and just being like oh my god like i feel like the sky's about to fall like Mm -hmm. this is crazy everyone's bugging out and then you know i got i flew home the bus dropped us at lax the next morning and i flew home to boston the airports were fucking like empty and then i live in cape cod which is empty in february so i I (laughs) left leaving Boston and the city lights are going away. And then there's like, you know, no cars on the road. And I come down to, you know, our little slice of heaven down here and at the end of the road. And that's where we stayed. Uh, so I remember calling my wife, Kelsey, be like, go, you know, go get beans, get, get rice. 
Right. Go to the supermarket now. Get toilet paper. Stock <laughs> up. You got to go now. Go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> and then we came home and we're just like, fuck, how, you know, we are, how are we going to like, we have to, you know, we have to keep making money. So I started doing live streams and mm-hmm. then the live streams would fund, you know, I, we, I would take half of the tips from Venmo and PayPal and we'd keep half and then the other half will go to like a music venue, like the, the employees from. Oh, that's so Apple, cool. Employees from the first Ave in Minneapolis or whatever. Uh-huh. And so we were able to raise a, not dude. we, you know, I think the most, we were pulling out some money that we make, you know, maybe make a thousand dollars or $2,000 on the live streams at first. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, so we were able to like send some money out to the people that, worked at these clubs that weren't getting anything mm-hmm. and we would keep a little money and that 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 felt good and then we got chickens and goats and fucking farms oh that's cool got all that shit going and um and then it was just kind of like an awesome time then we figured out like okay this is great to be home and like know that i love my wife and get to spend time with my little kids and then i knock my wife up again we had just had little garrett (laughs) and i get to like be with him every day of his life which i was Uh gonna be away so there was all this like kind of silver lining and then we you can cut me off anytime but and then no no this is amazing thank you well then we started doing um we got a call to play a graduation party for just a family here in orleans massachusetts where we live Hmm. Okay. We're going to go to these people's house, play for the mother, the father, the son, his brother, and the three friends from college. Cause they're doing probably like virtual graduations and all that yeah. stuff at the time, obviously. Yeah. So we went to their house and I performed for them and we said, Oh shit. Okay. And we walked out of there with like, you know, whatever, a couple thousand dollars. We said, okay, this is the new shit. So then we started oh. you know, backyard parties and i got uh linked up with bose who gave mm-hmm. me artist discount on on a pa and then later kind of bumped me up to bose ambassador and gave me like the newest latest pa and we started playing backyard parties and then then it was like game one i reconnected with my drummer uh chuck trees who i'd who i'd been playing with kind of on the fringe of special sauce since the very beginning mm-hmm. and he and i did our duo show it was chuck and his son kieran and my wife kelsey and i pregnant with <laughs> two little kids lewis and garrett uh and the dog whatever dog one of the three dogs we take with us in the suburbans fucking clocking miles <laughs> we drove to florida and back we drove to mississippi and made the record and back we yeah michigan we did the whole west coast playing b- parties and that funded the record and kept the lights on and really made an awesome connection with um a different kind of connection with with the fans so, yeah what a cool way to tour i mean especially playing super intimate shows in people's backyards and like yeah. how would people contact you to do that they would just say hey man like they still come, i got 20 people that are gonna show up in my house can you come hit play yeah, they were at gloveshows at gmail.com. My wife texts <laughs> every day. No, but, but actually, we're st- like now we're back to work kind of regularly, but we're right. still doing um, like I just did two repeats from last year. They did their second annual G Love party in their backyard last weekend. And like this weekend, we get another one up here in Wellfleet at the Cape. And uh, 
So yeah, we're still doing them. That's so, so cool. If does want to do them, they can contact gloveshows at gmail.com. Yeah, you know, we bring the PA. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> I got this hodgepodge light rig because I didn't have a light rig. I had like a painting light, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, but people would get off for these parties and some people would buy these little light rig and I was like, damn, that's a nice light. And they'd say, oh, you, you keep it. No, I couldn't. I couldn't keep it. No, really, you should take it. <laughs> no, no, I don't do it. Are you sure? Oh, okay. yeah. well, if you insist. <laughs> I have like this awesome light rig, uh, all these little, these cool stage lights that I use. So it's, it's, it's fun, man. It, and again, like, it's like, yeah, you, we, we would, we would um, kind of do it by whatever the state guidelines were, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Of, of like, they were like, you could have 10 people gathering. That's what we tell the host. You can have 10 people. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we never got in trouble. The cops have come a number of times to the parties because we're in people's neighborhoods. Right, know? right. <laughs> but they probably fun. like stoked, like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was like the most humbling thing. And also the most kind of something that I needed, like, so bad just to kind of get my hands dirty, you know, loading my own gear, setting up. I hadn't owned a PA since that since the plow and stars days right wow, I hadn't, yeah like own i hadn't need why do i need a pa i'm playing fucking woodstock 99 they got a pa you know <laughs> right right exactly so like, it's <laughs> most humbling but also like really rewarding to know that you could go show up to people's house get sweaty load in you know not take a nap like usual you know go play rock whatever people were there like one time we showed up, there was just two people. They just wanted to take mushrooms and just have us vibe out. And- that is so awesome. <laughs> what a what a way, right? You're like, okay, yeah. I'm going to get G-Love yeah. to come play. <laughs> it's just going to be you and I. <laughs> like, like, are you sure you don't want to sure invite people? You know, you can have up to 15 people. No, no, we're, we're good. You sure? Oh, okay. My wife's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> right. Like, oh, you want some shrooms? Like, no, but I have one of those cookies. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There you go. Uh, wow. That's so, that's so cool. With, uh, in that, you said that funded this record, which, yeah. how did you, did you obviously knew that, did you know about Philadelphia, Mississippi before the concept of the record or like, how did this whole concept start? And then I want to talk to you about the NFTs because from what I was reading about you, you've been into it for, you know, yeah. a handful of years already. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, f- this is crazy because I just had this thought in my head to make this record called Philadelphia, Mississippi. Uh, after doing the juice, it's been in my mind like I want to do the Philadelphia, Mississippi project just because there's a city in Mississippi called Philadelphia and right. Philadelphia and play the blues of Mississippi. Right. Sure. Yeah. That's what uh, I, when I first saw it, I was like, there is, oh, this is actually really a real place. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You're just kind of combining in the thing. And then I like Wikipedia it and I'm like, oh, OK. This is a spot. So we actually recorded in cold water, Mississippi, but Luther Dickinson. So this, this record has a bunch of cool stories. Like the one story is uh, the pilgrimage of the hip hop blues. So Chuck Treese and I, mm-hmm. uh, who is drummer, but also plays bass, guitar, vocals, percussion, everything. He's like one of those guys. that's like the best musician you've ever heard on every instrument. You know? <laughs> uh, but like, um, yeah, so um, it was our pilgrimage, you know, going down to like, you know, to where this shit is from, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. immersing ourselves down there for a week and getting to connect with 
all these emerging blues men and women that and old timers too. Um, and so the next part of the story is Luther Dickinson. So his father, Jim Dickinson, who passed, rest in peace, Jim, uh, he produced my second record. In oh, really? Yeah. So, wow. he, uh, and actually in 1994, we visited with him in Memphis and he took us to that studio, Zebra Ranch Studio, uh-huh. not record there. However, he did produce a record in, in New Orleans. Uh, so, so now, 30, like almost 30 years later, you know, so Luther and I have known each other since then, um, and, and his brother Cody. Um, so Luther Dickinson, I called Luther, said, I want to do this record, Philadelphia, Mississippi. And, you know, the pilgrimage of hip hop blues. And look, did he become talks. a producer, too? Is he a producer as well? Yeah, he, he he's an artist, but they yeah, he's a, he, he grew up, you know, kind of cutting his teeth as a studio guy. So, yeah, he's excellent producer. OK. And um so, yeah, I said, look, man, will you produce this record? Can we can we do it at the studio? And then it was that was it, because Luther, you know, he knows he's a real figurehead leadership of the blues community around Memphis, mm-hmm. Mississippi. And so he was able to call a bunch of people in for the G Love record. And then I was able to get a bunch of guys in like John Tavius Willis, mm-hmm. and Kingfish, and then the hip hop guys like Schooly D, Speech. And Chuck Trees got Freddie Fox, who I can't believe is on my record, like, because he's like the most fucking hardcore MC <laughs> ever. And he's on a G Love record and he's like stoked about it. It's so cool. Um, speech, of course, is like my probably my most, you know, my biggest influence as, a, as an MC, just because he's, when I heard the song Tennessee, he's sing rapping, you know, and that's uh-huh. so, yeah, so that was. That was the stories. And um, and then basically, we were like, we, you know, because uh, because it was a collaborative record. Right. So how do you approach that? And because we we're on a five day time crunch right between our last house party and this festival. Oh, so you did it in between. OK, yeah, we had like an anchor date, which was this festival with the Almond Betts band. And uh, so we had like this five day window to make the record, which we felt good about. But Chuck mm-hmm. and I did a writing session on the way down. I had some songs kind of in various stages. We kind of honed in on some of those. And then basically it was like we would have shit prepared for the guests. So everyone who came through was tasked with like bring a groove or a hook. Okay. Or a melody or just show up and be ready to do your thing. You know? So and everybody came in various stages of like preparation, but that's a really like interesting thing. Like when you get creative people together and kind of people rise to the occasion, it's, it's like, it's intimidating, right? Like it, anybody be scared, like, Oh, you know, you want me to write something right now or right. Right. And people kind of kind step of put up you on the and, spot. Right. Yeah. Like there was this moment, there's this moment um, with this song, My Ball, which... Oh, is, that's one of my favorite ones on the record. I made a note of that. That's oh, such a you. rad song. Yeah, yeah. It, that thing is so cool. So I had this idea that I wanted to have, like... Um, like, we had these breaks. And then the groove was just going to be, like, a hip-hop groove. I had a groove that I was could play. But basically, I want to see what John Tavius and Kingfish could do. So I said... Yo, 
what's going to happen is that Chuck's going to play a hip hop beat. And then you guys are going to count to four and you're going to come in in the key of E and just play some kind of looping, you know, blues riff. Mm-hmm. Dude, they just like, all right, okay. They all they really want to do is just jam blues. Like they didn't even want to like do this shit that I was trying to make them do. <laughs> they were like super trepidatious, if that's a word about it. And and so like there's I'll never forget because I'm sitting here, John Tavia's sitting here in a Kingfish cross room from, and he's like, All right, all right, bet. He goes, All right, bet. And he looked at Kingfish, all right, right? One, two, three, four. And then they came in playing the groove that's on the record. These really two- really cool syncopated blues riffs that just came out of nowhere and they just played them perfect. And it was like, Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Wow. Cool, with, with, with the amount of, you know, features and people that you have collaborating on this record in only five days to do it. How did you ma- like manage that? You just had a certain amount of people come on one day and then day two, three, four or five, like, yeah, was it, it, like, it was like it was so stressful to think about planning it, and then the way it went down was like so natural and seemed okay. really cool. Like, yeah, basically we'd say like, all right, we're gonna get the session started at you know whatever eleven, so eleven to one, we're gonna kind of prep a track, mm-hmm. for the next artist to come in, or at least get an idea down. And then they come down, or then we'd start it with them. And like Alvin Youngblood Hart was a real, he was awesome because he he's like a studio guy, but he's also a blues man. So like he, he just had just great rhythms to play. So yeah, someone would start rhythm and then, mm-hmm. yeah. And that was it. And, um, but yeah, it, it was like, and then it would be, it was cool. Cause it was like a reunion, right? Cause mm-hmm. people, one person would be wrapping up the session while the next person showed up and all these people were either friends or had heard about each other. Oh, so they're running in each, into each other as they're yeah, leaving. So like, there's this great picture um, of like Kingfish and John Tavius and their buddy Jay hop watching Alvin Youngblood just serenade Cause they kept saying, Oh, Mr. Alvin, pl- play another song, you know, play another song. <laughs> so Alvin's like sitting on it just the way the studio is. He was using the, the toilet as a chair because uh-huh. and the boys were out back because the door opens to the outside and there's a picture of Alvin sitting on the can, you know, with the lid closed. <laughs> yeah, but sure. then, then the boys watching them, watching him play, play the blues. But so there was a lot of, a lot of that kind of like instant camaraderie and um, it, it somehow worked out and everybody kind of rose to the occasion, including us. And I had this feeling like also kind of like being, Again, just being kind of like nervous going into it, being like, oh, man, I hope I don't get, you know, I just feeling uh, not, you know, am I going to have the confidence to like lead the session with all these like super authentic, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And just like coming into their world and again, kind of back to the the appropriation of of this art form. It's something that's been, been, that's a real situation that I've kind of, dealt with in different ways over the years. And um, so anyway, I, I didn't feel nervous. I felt confident. I felt like I was leading the session and, but also following the greatness of our guests. And I, it just was such an awesome feeling. And then the last thing I'll say was the one night, this old timer RL Boyce came through and he, he kind of been having a moment like before COVID, but he's a, he's like, he's an old guy, old, uh-huh. old man. And uh, he came in 
And bro, it was like, this is kind of thing is like a blues man. So my, I kind of always kind of had a, you know, a dream, a musical fantasy about like getting to, well, we've just basically got, you know, we, we just basically drank a whole bottle of whiskey and jammed the blues <laughs> till like the, till like Chuck left the session. He's like, all right, I'm out. blues all night long and then we traded hats and we just laughed and that's so cool carried on and he he was so funny he'd be like oh yeah i like that i like i like that riff you played well let me hear let me show you this one (laughs) (laughs) that's so man he 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 had all his one-liners it was great you can tell that the you guys had just had so much fun putting the record together it's like uh, it's very like optimistic feeling when i listen to it which is really cool like it's uplifting the album just like it the way it it flows like from the first track to the you know the shout out to the end which i think is so cool it's just the riff you guys are going on and thanking all these people that helped on the record and just the 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 concept behind it all and even with the song right before that with the philly sound you talk just talking about the where you guys had came from and the other artists that came out of the same city and, and it's just such a cool, cool record. I, and, and like I said, you could just, you can hear that you guys are having such a great time putting it together. Yeah. And, and back to like, and also just also got to give shots to Luther Dickinson because like the, just because of Luther, he's a very interesting guy. And I mean, he's such a talented guy. He's such a humble guy, um, but he also has, he's also a front man. Uh, of mm-hmm. a band and, and one of the great lead guitar players, guitar players of our time. So he, he has an ego, he has confidence, but he's, he's one of these guys. that's very kind of like open and very gentle. Right. And as a leader, he's, he's kind of very, he can be firm, but he, he's also very gentle. So I had this openness to the session. Um, he just kind of made it all happen. Um, I, you know, like when I think back, like, I mean, he made it happen on every level, bro, because like he, he, he made it happen, you know, financially cheap, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that was kind of everything at that time because, you know, no one knew where it was happening. So, you know, we, we were able to pay everybody. Like literally we, we took the backyard cash, from people's parties and like I paid for the studio in cash, I paid all the musicians cash and um, you know, everybody came down it was cool because we got to give everybody a day's work and, mm-hmm. and get to hopefully do something that again, like part of the mission for this record is, is not just to make a great G love record, but also kind of to throw some light on some of these, like I said, emerging talent, of mm-hmm. these young men and women that like you know uh, that are keeping their their cultural art form alive in this very like uh present and potent and original way and not just you know because you for for a minute if you were thinking about the blues you think well this blues is going to die right because there's no younger generation of african and men and women mm-hmm. authentic carrying on this tradition because of whatever because um whereas hip-hop is in no fear of dying because that is also this authentic and it's just getting bigger and bigger (laughs) yeah but to see these guys like kingfish and john tavius like coming out and like yeah that's what's up Mm -hmm. yeah no and then with this whole like nft thing is that like it's so I, I want to hear how you got how you're doing it because 
I, I interviewed Rain from uh, Our Lady Peace, and they're doing their last record was is an NFT format too, like oh. similar. But I, I want to hear how you guys are doing, and like, when did you get involved in NFTs? And yeah, I guess we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, like it started kind of like dabbling in like Bitcoin and crypto in December of 2017, and kind of just oh kept, wow, kept a little finger in the pot, but not enough that you know really <laughs> financially <laughs> set me free or anything like that but my my road manager he's he's quit the road and he's wow well. um but um anyhow yeah like uh citizen cope we talk a lot about the music industry often and he, he left me this really cryptic message one night it was like yo gee man i found a thing man we're gonna be all right like we're gonna have this gonna work and i'm like what is he fucking talking about and then the next week <laughs> like uh the next week everyone's talking about nfts because you know like whatever like a crypto punk sold for like at sotheby's for like you know eight 20 million bucks or whatever mm -hmm. right uh so yeah so then i was like oh shit so i made an nft that day uh, on rareable and i think it's still living there and then i happened to be this is while we were on the west coast um Solbecue tour with the family we're staying at um you know friends in high places but i mean whatever like one of the guys who started gopro we're surfing buddies and oh, yeah there's san diego company i don't know maybe you're around that area or they're in they were in san diego he, he lives in well he lives in Kauai now but it's got neil dana but his we stayed at his house he wasn't there in half moon bay and okay. um and so actually his buddy was house sitting who was like in the crypto and nfts and stuff like that blah 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 and um so you know whatever long story short is that he kind of was coaching me on the nft thing and so now fast forward then he started hearing about kings of leon dropped on this yellow heart platform in the meantime i had put out two separate nfts that were not uh necessarily music related were well were related to the artwork on our videos but mm -hmm. what's called a generative series of 10,000 and mm -hmm. that didn't really do so well but it did enough to be like wow we can actually make like real loot doing this and then so now so now so then it was like the dream like to put the album out as an nft so linked up with yellow heart which is a really interesting platform um and yeah like we're just right in the middle of our release right now which looks like this so basically like people sign up now so if you don't know about the space or whatever, like it's all about like building community. Mm -hmm. I know you can think of it as far as it relates to music as like a fan club. Okay. Uh, why would you want to buy an album as an NFT? Well, you might want to support your favorite artists because Spotify does not pay anything. Apple music does not pay anything. The record companies don't pay anything, although they're helping to put your music out. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for uh, artists, you know, unless the very top 1%, people like Taylor Swift or like, you know, Eminem or guys like that to make money on their recordings. It's right. just a fact, right? No mm -hmm. one buys records. Mm -mm. Streaming doesn't pay. Right. They'd rather you could pay Spotify, whatever per month and then stream your album endless times, but you're not seeing any of that. Maybe yeah. a percentage of a penny <laughs> like, yeah, per X thousand streams or something. 
I think if you get a million streams and you own 100% of the song, it's like $4,000 or something. That's, That's crazy. If you sold a million singles, well, that would, would put some money in your pocket. You know? Right. But who's buying? Yeah. And it's totally different now. So that's, that's the one that that's so anyhow, if you buy my NFT, the money's going 90% of the money's going to me. Whereas if you buy any record that I have out, you know, maybe like 4% is going to me. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. And then the other aspect of it, maybe this, my NFC will sell out and there'll be a secondary market. So you could actually trade my record and sell it and make money off it. Well, that's pretty mm-hmm. cool for the fans. And there's right. a lot of community building stuff where like, you know, the active community on discord, which is like a chat space kind of mm-hmm. thing. And um, anyway, so yeah, the, so our drop looks like this. It's really cool actually. So the, the first thing is like people sign up now for this G love community token, which actually is a free NFT. It is as NFT you get when you make a wallet on yellow heart, right. Which is the platform. And then, um, and that also gives you pre-mint. So we're making a thousand NFTs and each one comes with a vinyl, either black or gold, right? So then the next thing that happens is if you buy it, which comes out June 6th, that's the origin NFT. And that gives you the full record, right? Mm-hmm. And you can stream it on Yellow Hearts platform. And you could also download the MP3s on your computer, right? Um, and then after that, they... They, there's the next NFT tells you, so this is your third NFT you get. This one indicates whether you got a black record or a gold record or one of five test pressings and a meet and greet, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wow. And then there's even one more. And then there's one, I feel like, and you get for all this for nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you order now, <laughs> but then the last thing you get is the generative, um, thing which is 1000 unique variations of the album artwork so you actually get like four digital pieces of artwork you get the album to stream and you get a vinyl and and then chances to like win you know tickets and shit so that's so rad a lot of value it's 175 dollars but again you know this is something that um you know most nfts go for you know Mm -hmm. a couple hundred bucks so even in that world, it's kind of it's kind of cheaper, um, but and you're getting like physical things, and uh, yeah. it, like you're getting a physical record, you're getting the record to stream, you're also getting yeah the, the digital artwork, you're getting an opportunity to win tickets or this or that and the other thing. I mean, like you said, it's such a cool thing. Like with like I feel like more artists are going to have to go this route, or they should be going this route with the NFTs because, like you said, it's essentially a, cl- a fan club that you are buying into, right? that's giving you perks that you're not going to get any other way. And then yeah. you own a, you own it in the sense yeah. that you, you said you could trade it later. Yeah. Which is so crazy to think. Cause like I, the, the, the other person I was talking to about it, like I didn't quite get it. And like there, the way that our lead piece said it was a little bit differently where you would fund into the album. So like I could spend X amount of, you know, cryptocurrency on, love from Philly. And then if it makes, if it hits the radio and does all this money, then you could buy into a percentage of the royalties. So to oh, speak. that's cool. So like, that's, so that's you were like, thing? that's how our lady peace did it on that's their record. Cool. Like, like an, a, 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 it's, it's yeah. We're basically like a stock you're owning this right. frag fraction of this one song. And then if it makes money, then you get a, whatever percentage back. 
That's so cool. That's like a, DAO, like a community DAO. That that's pretty cool. That's that's interesting. One thing about that to, to me is like, wow, that's kind of it's so hard to quantify, right? But I, I guess mm-hmm. not because you get your royalty statements, and then you could say like, well, this is this is what the record has done royalty wise, and they're going to put that in a community wallet and disperse that. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how, and I don't know how much of the percentage of the song that he you know, is available because uh, he's not going to say 100% of the song is going to go up for grabs because then what, it, you know, so I don't know how that it was all broken down, but well, maybe he already got enough on the front end. Sorry, like, because that's, and that, sorry, you, you made this other point, which was like the GoFundMe because that's kind of another way to look at it is like, uh-huh. this is kind of like the next step of like, if you wanted to support your favorite artist making a record and, and like do a Kickstarter campaign or a GoFundMe and like buy into that thing. This is kind of what that is as well. Right, right. It totally is. Cause then it's okay. I made this record. You can help support it directly to support me. Right. And in return, I'm going to give you not only because some people are weary about like, you know, it's digital space, like just digital. Like now you actually have a physical right. record right. and the digital assets that kind of go along with it, which right. is so cool. Um, and like, like you said, it, it could be, it's worth something to another. If you said how many 10,000 there you're going to do, or uh, obviously limited or thousand, 1000. So there's a thousand. And if a huge G love fan missed the boat and then now you own this piece, it could right. be worth, right. you know, 500 bucks to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. And it's like, uh, somebody put it to me in the sense that like, what if you bought into something like a Taylor Swift? song that she never released and then she blows up even more and then it's like right. now i own this right. unreleased song like that one guy that bought that wu-tang record that was like right. the only only cop and he bought it for like two million bucks like it's so it could be lucrative but it's also you're supporting an artist directly and you're not supporting you're not i'm not buying some rare uh you know album that you released like a first pressing of your first album that some other person owns and you're not receiving any of the you know right, but- Right. So that's another part of it is like the secondary. So if you take that Wu-Tang, because because the Wu-Tang things are interesting thing, because that's not an NFT, although too bad it's not, because that thing, whoever bought it first, they just flipped it again because I saw that it sold to auction and like a crypto guy got it. Oh, really? And yeah, I think they paid four thousand four mil for it. But here's the thing. So it's going up in value. But because it's not an NFT, I, maybe I'm wrong, but like they don't get a, a royalty on a secondary sales Whereas the NFT, you have a built-in royalty, uh, like two to 10%. So if you bought the NFT and then it does go up in value and you sell it for 500, well, I would get a small percentage, like maybe 5% of that will come back to me as the artist in perpetuity. Right, right. And, and they're not seeing that. Like, like Wu-Tang put the record out and it sold to someone who had it or they had right. it. Somebody had it like you know, they're not getting any money from that. And then it goes for 2 right. million. And to that guy, that pharmaceutical dude who right. sells it for 4 million. So right. he makes 2 million on it. Yeah, and then they're still not making anything <laughs> on it. Right. As far as we know. Ghostface Killers sit back like, where's yeah, my cut might, of this? Might, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I guess. Yeah. As far as we know. But yeah, because I love the, the concept of with uh, the video you did too, with Love from Philly and the, the Bored Apes. That that was like the first. That was when the NFT for me. I was like, the cyberpunk thing was yeah. Obviously, that kind of got my attention. But then with the 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 apes, I'm like, okay, this is like turning really into something where people are making a lot of money. And you utilize that. And I love the one that you made of yourself. 
and like it just it was so cool like it's such a cool concept yeah i mean that so that's so actually that kind of gives you an idea like the strength of like this community just because it's like a new thing so everywhere that you engage with is like it's like um as if you know we both know that there's a secret ice cream store that opened down the block and just right so far so we're like buddies now over this ice cream Mm -hmm. so um it's kind of like that but anyhow there was this the guy hit me on Twitter is this uh, guy who it's actually called the blazed ape smokers club, which is a, a takeoff of the characters of the board ape. Okay. Guy, which is famously worth, you know, tons and tons and tons of money. Sure. Um, but anyhow, he had hit me up cause he had done one, uh, f- a character for uh, Amir quest love from the roots. Uh-huh. Like, yo, gee, can you help me get this to Amir? Well, I, I mean, and I, I know each other since we were kids, but like, we're not, we don't, I don't, I don't have his number. We don't stay in touch or anything. Right. And so I was like, I was like, well, fuck that. What about the G love one? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. That's how it's thinking. So he, actually did. he made a G love one. And I was like, holy shit. It's, it's, uh, I'll pull it up. I can just show it on the camera. But so basically then I was like, yo, man, would you, you know, would you consider, um, doing a video Cause then you would pump your blaze day smokers club. And we have this on love from Philly and he's a Philly guy. So he said, yeah, sure. So he made the, the video, he made a character of schoolie D and, and oh, okay. And, and so that was, that was what, what that was. But then, um, let me just find this real quick. Where is this guy? Um, I'm looking at, looking at my open C Jones. So here it is. Yeah. So, yeah. There's my guy. That's so good character. So then, yeah, he did the whole video like of all these iconic. It's really cool, like animation style. So you, mm-hmm. you haven't checked it out, like check it out. Yeah, it's so rad. And even in the from the juice, the the videos you were doing from them, that was to have that similar NFT look. Right? Well, yeah, so, well, that was so. Yeah, so that was done by this artist Andre Solar, and um, we did four. Yeah, I think four animated videos for the Jews. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, then we did an NFT with his characters from those videos. So that was the oh. that was that's called Juice Gang. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like the OG project of all my forthcoming like um you know stuff into into web three is, is juice gang that's our dis- discourse juice gang and um and that's where you yeah. can go in to do the to to opt into what you're doing now right is through the well, juice no, gang actually, it's no? a separate project but um yeah no the new one's on yellow heart so yeah if anyone, oh, it is on yellow heart yeah, okay just like in in uh at g love on twitter at philly g love on instagram g love especially also on facebook and philadelphonic.com and like on our link trees there you can find like the links to get the community token or to mint a juice gang and see all this oh, okay yeah that's where i'm at right now i'm on uh philadelphonic right now that's what i thought did, okay. did you get a community token yet for the i Yellow haven't Network? i haven't you gotta get your free nft man i know i know <laughs> i'm gonna do that i wanted to talk to you about it first and see how i how i went about it but yeah. uh that's so cool i'm so yeah. excited this is so rad and i love yeah, I really want to get into it. I want to get into it with the content I've done. Like, I haven't seen a whole lot of video NFTs yet. So that's one I want to try to get some of my content in on and, and see what, you know, this is such a cool world that's happening. Yeah, so literally, like, you could do this interview. You know, I mean, you could put out, like, and no one's maybe done 
like putting out interviews yet. Like you could do this full length recording of our Zoom interview as like an NFT and just do one on one. So someone could like own the conversation because that's basically what people are doing. They're just buying this content and then, you know, they own it. That's so crazy. They can. So if it was interesting to them or they wanted to support what you're doing. Right. But that's actually a good idea because you could do it like you could do one-on-one. I'm sure you interview a lot of interesting people and you could do one-on-one interviews with whatever artist you're doing. And then you could split the royalties with the other person artists. I know that's that, that that's what we should do. We'd start with yours. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be killer. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for doing this. This has been so much fun. I love chatting with you. Um, are you playing? I'm in Nashville now, so I don't know if you're coming down here anytime soon. Yeah, actually, I was, we're, 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 I'm, I'm on tour this summer with OAR and dispatch. Oh, uh, you are on that tour. Yeah. Okay. I went through Memphis. It's not going through Nashville. Oh, it's not. I thought I saw an email about OAR coming through here. Maybe not. But when I looked on my schedule, it's not, but um, maybe it's not. Maybe I got confused because I know that they have, I saw some emails about they have a new record out. Yeah. Coming out. Yeah. But uh, my drummer lives in Nashville, Jeffrey Clemens. And he, he does uh, at underscore the house, man. He he plays some local shows around there. Really? I'm going to look him up. Yeah. Sick. Awesome. Well, any, if you're ever in town, man, it would be cool to cool to catch up with you again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's, let's definitely do it. Awesome. uh, Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Great chatting with you again, Garrett. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. I appreciate you. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks. Thank you. you too.